You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, Kraken fans? Welcome to episode 35, a.k.a. Joey Decord, of Keeping Up With The Krakens, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network and sponsored by DraftKings. Use promo code THPN for exclusive offers. This is your co-host of the pod, Tyler Bell, coming from the Rocky Mountains of Alberta, Canada, and once again joined by fellow co-host of the pod, Alec Durham. How are you doing on this lovely Sunday afternoon, Alec? Oh, just absolutely feeling fantastic you know the two teams i wanted to win the conference final won their conference final so we've got in my opinion the best fucking matchup nhl could have had for the stanley cup final how are you feeling oh not too too bad i mean i've been sick all week pretty much a whole week now i've been uh, dealing with a sickness but uh feeling not too bad this morning this afternoon here so um you know ready to get fired up talking about some hockey here and just like you said man Tampa Bay, Colorado, both teams end up moving on, and holy shit, we're in for a hell of a Stanley Cup Finals, man. I am pumped to watch this one. Yeah, like what we have lined up here is, in my opinion, the best offense in hockey right now against against the best goaltender on the planet. Like, yeah, that's exactly right, man. You're that's exactly right. And then you take a look at both teams' uh, defensive lineups, absolutely stacked too. And just you know, the the amount of star power that we're going to be seeing in these finals from both sides is just outstanding. I can't wait, man. It's going to be an absolute gong show. Oh, I'm so excited. I mean, I'm a little pissed off that I got to wait till Wednesday for it, but whatever. Stupid NBA. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, whatever. It is what it is. But let's jump right into uh, how both those teams got there. And uh, starting on the west side there, because it was the Avalanche getting out the broomstick, the broomsticks there and absolutely sweeping the Edmonton Oilers in four games. This one was a shocker, man. I did not see a sweep coming. I didn't see a sweep coming either. I think last time we spoke, like I said, it was going to be a short series for Colorado, but I didn't think it'd be that short. I said I'd give Edmonton the benefit of the doubt and give them two games, but they didn't get any. They didn't get any, you're right. And uh, this series had a little bit of everything, a lot of controversy in, in a few of these games for sure. 
Um, and just a ton of goal scoring, like we predicted, you know, our last podcast that, uh, this would be the one that, you know, we'd, we'd see tons of goals from, and, and we did see that, didn't we? Yeah. I mean, we definitely saw a lot of goals. I mean, unfortunately for Edmonton, most of them were from the avalanche players and, uh, got a couple goal scoring stats for you. That might be the story of the series here for Colorado and Edmonton. So Colorado had four goals scored from their defensemen. Edmonton had zero. Colorado's first line, like Landeskog, McKinnon, and Natushkin, combined for seven goals. Edmonton's first line of uh, Dreisaitl, McDavid, and Hyman, that's what I went with there because, you know, Kane was kind of out for basically half a series. They combined for six goals. You're thinking that's pretty even, right? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Here's where the difference is. Edmonton's, I called it their depth. Every player that wasn't on that first line combined for seven goals. Colorado, 15. Yikes. Yeah, that's a big difference right there, man. And um, yeah, we've seen a lot of it throughout those games. That first game was crazy. Again, what was it? A seven to three lead for Colorado. And then just like game one in the series against the Flames, Edmonton battled back. They made it a... Uh, a close game again and then you know they just weren't able to uh you know at least keep that game tied up and and Colorado went on to win that first game and um man they just didn't look back from there right eh? no I mean the closest game after that was game three where Edmonton had a lot of the high danger chances at five on five but they weren't able to close that one out and then it was just game over right like once it was three nothing we all knew Edmonton was screwed yeah. And then, you know, they get to go back to Edmonton for that game three gets off to a fabulous start. McDavid scores within the, uh, the first minute of the game. And then we see this terrible hit, just, just a hit that's uncalled for from Evander Kane there. And, you know, he puts Kadri into the boards hard, you know, Kadri messes up. Uh, it's his hand. I think that's injured right now. Um, you know, that puts him out of the series, but it also puts Kane right out of that hockey game. And that was what, just like a minute and a half into the game, essentially. So, you know, he gets, uh, or he didn't get the boot. He just got the five minute. That was a weird one, man. Did, what did you think about that? Yeah, I thought that was weird. Like if you're going to give the guy a five, generally you get him out of the game, just in my opinion, to manage it so you stop shit from happening later on. Because you know someone's like, well, I'm fucking getting Kane back. He just took Kadri out for possibly the year. And then he kept him in the game. Yeah, it was it was just a weird one, man. There, so there was that that happened. Obviously controversial. Um, you know, he gets five, doesn't get kicked out. But, uh, you know, it kind of just felt like after that amazing start where McDavid scored, the, the dynamics of that hockey game right off the bat just just shifted. Things just felt a little weird. There was so much energy. Then after that happened, you know, they do get this huge kill and they, and they play well. But, um, you know, besides that, it just, there wasn't a whole lot that uh, Edmonton was able to do in that, in that hockey game. Well, I think it kind of sucks everything you've got going for you out of the game when that happens a minute six in. Like you get McDavid to score. So that's the other thing too. A lot of guys aren't talking about is Edmonton throughout the playoffs didn't really manage their highs and lows very well, right? Like they mm-hmm. would have a good game where it was real back and forth and a lot of emotional highs. And then they'd have a bad one and it was a bit low after that. And I think this was just an effect of that. So they had their real high moment. First game at home in the conference finals, McDavid scores 30 seconds in. And the next shift, your top goal scorer on the team through the playoffs takes a five. 
the top so goal scorer everything in the whole playoffs. I know. True. And it just, it just sucked everything. Uh, kind of like that energy out of it. Like they did a great job killing off penalty. I think they took a couple more penalties too in that first period, killed them all off, like did a fantastic, fantastic job. I think, you know, that I think nine or 11 minutes of that period, they were shorthanded. So that was tough for them too, after getting off to, you know, what would be a perfect start to the game. And then uh, Natushkin there, he ends up scoring kind of late in that first, ties it up. Colorado takes a lead too in the second. And then, <clears throat> yeah, they just took over in that second period again, Colorado and pounded, uh, you know, peppered Mike Smith with shots. And um, yeah, Mike Smith, those two goals that went into, they were a bit wonky. They were a bit soft. Even though he had a good game, you you can't be giving up goals like that. And that that first one, too, that Nushushkin scored, really weird bounce there off Darnell Nurse. And, yeah, things just were not going the Oilers' way in this series. Which game was the Comfort goal where he came up right out of the box? Was that three? I think so, yeah. Because that was uh, fucking no, terrible no, everybody. Uh, was it three or four? I think I think it was four. I'm trying to think back. Um, you know, I was, I was sick for a lot of those games, but honestly, the, just you could just tell by the way Colorado is playing. It didn't matter if Edmonton ended up winning one of those games at home. Colorado was winning this series no matter what. Like I've never seen a team passing the puck and playing so well together as a unit, and they do it with the highest amount of speed possible. And it was just electric to watch. And the way Kale McCarr played this series, I mean, nine points in four games and how well he defended the top two juggernauts of McDavid and Dreisaitl. I mean, I don't know, man, right now, I, I truly think he is the leader to win the Conn Smythe heading into the finals. Oh, I'd agree with that. He's definitely Colorado's leader. I think, Vasilevsky would be right there. He's Tampa's leader, obviously. Mm -hmm. I don't know which I'd give the lean to. Probably Makar, you're right. I think I saw a stat the other day where only four times has a defenseman in a sweep recorded nine points, and Makar has two of them. They were yeah, both he has this year. two. Yeah, exactly. Two of the four ever to get nine points in in a in a sweep as a defenseman and he's done twice this year alone. That's just insane to think about. Like before this playoffs, it had only been done twice ever. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to do it twice before the cup final. No big deal. Yeah. No big deal at all. And I mean, yeah, just more depth. Like you said before, um, this series started that Colorado depth really took over. I mean, I'm, I'm just a mush that that I predicted Edmonton and seven. I, I really thought they were gonna pull out and the way, you know, their big guys were were playing heading into the the series. I just thought, you know, there there's a chance that they could they could steal a couple games and that wasn't the case. I mean, I don't know. What did you think of uh that offside goal or you know I controversial could see both sides. goal in yeah, I know. That like, was crazy. In game one. It feels like there, such a right? cop out answer, but like at the same time, if you want to go by the exact definition of the rule book, which the NHL has, he has to touch the puck for that to be offside. And he didn't. So to yeah. me, though, he's flying into the zone. Like I get the puck's not on the stick technically for those 
half seconds, but like that is full on possession of that puck. You're but, right. That is possession. Mm-hmm. But according to the NHL, those are two different things. Possession and touching the puck. Like in the rule book for offside, it says touch the puck, but delayed offside, which the linesman didn't call, then it would have just been if you have possession of the puck. Mm-hmm. So where yeah. the NHL is fucked up is they've got to get their wording the same for both rules. I think Otherwise, ta- you're just I, asking yeah. for people to get mad about this. I know. I think we talked about that last pod. Like, I, I honestly think some some clarification when it comes to some of their rules is going to be coming this offseason, especially with uh, when we've seen all the controversy with the, the kick-ins and, and the deflections and what really is a kick-in, what's a kicking motion. Like, things have to be more clarified when it comes to some of these rules in the NHL because it just... <laughs> So like this whole playoffs has been full of controversy when it comes to some of these calls that are being made. So um, yeah, just an interesting one. And then in game four too, um, I'm trying to think back of which goal it was, but I, I really thought there was a case for a Mike Smith interference. Um, you know, it was that goal where he basically gave the puck away, had to get right back into his net and then ends up, you know, getting a bit of contact when that goal went in and falling back into his net a bit. I thought there could have been a case for some goaltender interference, but uh, we didn't see that being, um, we didn't see uh, Woodcroft there challenge that play. So um, I was a bit surprised by that, um, especially at that point. You got to have a bit more desperation. Um, but I don't know, man. It is what it is. Colorado was definitely the better team, though. Yeah, they were heads and tails better than Edmonton. Mm-hmm. One last uh, little goal-scoring stat I got for you here. Throughout the entire series, Colorado had six skaters that played all four games and did not score a goal, which is like kind of all right. Like that's one-third, right? Yeah. On the flip side, Edmonton had six skaters that played all four games and did score a goal. <laughs> yeah, that's... That's just uh, not acceptable. And by the sounds of it, you know, there, there's a lot of things that are going to get shaken up with that team as well, because um, I, yeah, they got to fix a lot of things and it starts in the back end and that's goaltending. And, you know, lucky enough, there's going to be a lot of goaltenders available in this off season. So uh, they're going to have a good chance to shake things up, but they're also going to have to shed some salary. So things are going to have to shift in Edmonton. Um, almost like a bit of a retool in a sense, I think is, is kind of what's needed for that team. Kind of well, sounds like Evander Kane won't be back either. Uh, I don't know by, uh, the Ryan Rashog, is it the, the reporter for Edmonton kind of ma- making it sound like, uh, you know, Kane's looking for a pretty large deal, you know, six to seven years around six to 7 million per year. So you're looking at, you know, some, somewhere around that $40 million range, six to seven years. So that's a pretty big contract he'd be looking for and uh, not one that I think Edmonton is able to afford. No, I don't think they can. But also uh, Friedman reported, I haven't looked into it much more than just what I saw from him putting out on Twitter, but he said like the San Jose and Evander Kane situation isn't over and there could be a scenario where they have to honor the rest of his contract. So he could be back in San Jose. That is right. Yeah, if he wins his arbitration case, then that contract is is still uh, in play and and if that's the case then Edmonton could potentially get him on a cheaper deal i mean if 
San Jose retains 50% of that. Now you're getting Kane at around three, three and a half million per season, still locked into three or four years that that'll be remaining on that deal. I forget exactly, but I, I I'd imagine I it's probably three, right? So, um, yeah, then that's a situation where now they have to consider giving up assets to trade for him. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, maybe Kane pulls, uh, you know, I don't want to go anywhere, but Edmonton and it becomes one of those deals, kind of like the Claude Giroux one, uh, that we just seen at the trade deadline where, uh, you don't have to give up as much, as many assets as, as we once thought, um, you know, in order to make that deal happen, just throwing it out there as a possibility. What do you think? Honestly, that's probably the best case scenario for Edmonton. Cause like you it, said, like yeah. he's looking to get paid, right? Oh yeah. hundred percent. So I don't think he's going to pull the Edmonton's the only place I want to play card because he's going to be stuck at like three and a half million. I think he's going to, if that does happen, I think he would just straight up want to be like, look, I'm going to go where I'm going to get money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, the, the fit there, I really liked it. Obviously, you know, he was on pace for like a 48 goal season. Um, you know, if you look at his numbers from when he joined the Edmonton team there. So, I mean, that's a potential 45 goal score, 50 goal score. If, if you're able to keep Kane right beside McDavid. Right. So, I mean, and then look how many goals he scored this playoff. So I, I would laugh. I would definitely be trying to make that happen if i was edmonton in, in my opinion i agree I, I think it's a great fit there kane has a uh three team trade list so he has to list if they end up honoring his san jose contract he has to list three teams that he can be traded to so that does give wow, him a lot of power a, it does that's a very very short list there so tons of power in his hands on that part but uh you know, before we move on to just a shout out to McDavid and Dreisaitl for what they did in these playoffs. I mean, 33 points for McDavid, 32 for Dreisaitl. They combined for 65 points through 16 playoff games, something we might not see again for a long time. Um, th th those stats are just insane, man. Yeah, those are disgusting. Like those are some early 90s stats. Yeah, and there's a really really good chance that McDavid will, uh, and Drysaitel uh, could just lead this playoffs no matter you know what happens because because you need pretty much Kale McCarr needs to hit ten points, Kucherov needs to hit ten or eleven points as well in order to pass them in this final series. So um, yeah, just insane numbers there, man, and uh, a total of thirty five goals scored between the two teams and just four games in that uh in that series so like we said tons of goal scoring we've seen there yeah not bad if you're outscoring the other series with less games spoiler alert <laughs> yeah yeah let's move on to the east and uh you know these tampa bay lightning man they just no quit man um just amazing what they're doing and uh, they end up winning in six games against the Rangers to advance to their Stanley Cup final for the third straight year in a row, Durham. How crazy is that? Man, I mean, that's absolutely insane. Three finals in a row. And I seen a joke from one of the writers on Twitter today, and he goes, yeah, sure. Tampa's made it to the Cup final three years in a row during the Cap era. He goes, but what no one's talking about is they did it three years in a row during the flat cap era. <laughs> yeah. And not only that, after dismantling their whole third, 
third line from uh, the, you know, the year prior to, um, to end up just, you know, picking up veteran guys, making some moves at the deadline and, and rebuilding and, you know, still finding ways to get it, get it done. And it's just super impressive. And, you know, what Vasilevsky has done these three straight years is just incredible, man. He's just, yeah, like you said, he is the best goaltender in the NHL today. And already, even at a young age, has a good chance of uh, becoming one of the best ever, you know, maybe even get, getting into that top three for best ever goaltender of all time, Durham. Oh, absolutely. Like if he sticks with Tampa and they keep producing throughout the regular season, obviously, because those numbers count as well. Like he's done enough in the playoffs to have cemented his status there. What's going to count now is his regular season numbers, as stupid as this sounds. But you're going to have to get up to the 450, 500 wins, right? Yeah. And that's obviously possible if he stays on a team that's going to score or not score, but get 45 or 50 wins every single year. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you know, they have all their stars locked in long-term still. So there, there shouldn't be too many issues around that. Right. Exactly. It's just going to be, you know, bringing in the complimentary pieces, which Tampa keeps finding a way to do. They've got 82 playoff wins since 2015. Yeah. That sounds insane, dude. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of credit gets given to John Cooper either, who, uh, I heard a stat, watching the game last night when they were talking about, uh, you know, going through to beat them Tampa moving on to the finals and it'll be John Cooper's fourth Stanley cup final in nine years. Wow. Yeah. That's just insane. Just insane to think about that. No, he's, he's such a fantastic coach and yeah, jumping into this one, man, game one, the Rangers come up with a commanding win, a six, two victory. And then in game two, they, uh, they slide away with a nice three, two victory, another close game, um, that we've seen a lot of in this series. So what were you thinking after those first two games? I thought, holy shit, Tampa might be in trouble. I genuinely thought that sweeping Florida was the worst thing to happen to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Like, they swept them. They got kind of not tired, but relaxed a little bit in those two weeks off almost where they're waiting for the Rangers, and then they got to get themselves going again. And I wasn't quite sure if they'd be able to get themselves geared up again after having just done it. And then, like, you know, when you start getting going at the start of playoffs, and then you have that little lull and it's like, fuck, they've been to the finals and, and won it the last two years in a row. Like, is this going to be the time they can't get it back going again? But they shove that right down my throat. Yeah, because I come back and win four straight games and uh, yeah, end up winning the series. And, you know, credit to the Rangers. They played a hell of a series and Shesterkin, uh you know, was so outstanding in that, but uh, the big difference was just the, the Rangers inability to score at five on five in the series that that really cost them. And it could have been the difference in a, in a lot of these close games. I mean, they, they, they do win the, the three, two game and game two, but um, you know, there's two other games in the series that are one goal games in, in game three and game six, where uh, you know, that, that five on five goal scoring just didn't come through for this hockey team. And, and that really cost them, you know, game four and five, they, they were only able to put up one goal in those games. And, you know, speaking about Vasilevsky and just how incredible he was and, and uh, you know, can't say enough good things about him, man, but uh, yeah, the Rangers lose, uh, lose the series and, 
Yeah, Tampa Bay, man. Uh, out of all of the series that they've won in these last couple years, uh, including obviously this playoffs, Colorado is no doubt going to be their toughest matchup yet. I think, I don't know. I I want to agree with you, but like when they played Boston a couple years ago, that was a hell of a series. Was that yeah. the finals? Was it that the finals? And no, that wasn't the, because I was trying to think what was the fucking coat or fucked up year where two East teams played, but that was Montreal when they just dominated them. Oh, just spanked them. Yeah. But they, they played the Islanders too, right? And uh, to a conference finals back to back. Yep. Yeah, and they uh, went to OT in Game 7. Was it last year against the Islanders? Um, not 100% sure on that right now. Uh, tough tough to remember. I want to say it was a Game 6, but it could have been a Game 7, actually. Yeah, I mean, there was one that was a Game 7, I, I thought. But, um, I mean, when it comes to their opponents in the Stanley Cup Final, too, Dallas, Montreal, I mean, Colorado, I think, is just miles ahead uh, in terms of talent and, and the way they're playing, uh, I just can't get over the fact like how good Colorado looked against Edmonton, just and incredibly well, incredibly well. And I guess that just takes us right into our our predictions here for the Stanley Cup Finals. So, Durham, who do you got winning the cup this year, man? Oh fuck, it's a tough one for me because like. I don't want to bet against Tampa Bay. Like they're the masters of adjusting, right? Like after the first, I got one more quick stat. I got to fire out because I found it and I'm super proud of it, but whatever. Anyways, after the (laughs) first two games against the Rangers, the Rangers had 21 high danger chances at five on five. So it's like, those were the two games they won. They did well. John Cooper and the Tampa Bay lightning are like, yeah, you're done. It threw games three, four, five, and six combined the Rangers would have 21 high danger chances for. So they cut their chances. Tampa cut their chances against in half over the next four games. So I think they're going to be able to adjust against Colorado. I think they're going to be able to limit it. But at the same time, they've got Vasilevsky to shut down whatever does get through. I don't know. Fuck. I'm hoping a seven game series and, I don't want to bet against Tampa, but I'm going to say Colorado. Yeah, man. Um, this one's almost a coin flip. And uh, yeah, I guess another quick bit too is, uh, you know, we got to shadow Anthony Sorelli because he's been their shutdown centerman for Tampa Bay. And he's literally played, you know, most of his minutes against all the top lines that he's faced so far. So, you know, math, Matthews line in uh, the first series, then, you know, Barkoff, Huberdu, those guys in the second series. And then in this series, obviously Rangers top line there as well. And during all those minutes played against those top guys, he's only been on the ice for six goals against. So pretty amazing what he's been able to do, shutting down all of those top lines. Uh, And again, a lot of credit goes to John Cooper there, but um you know, one quick tidbit right here too. I forgot to mention 12 out of the 16 Tampa Bay goals in the series against the Rangers. They were all scored by either Kucherov, Stamkos, or Palat. So those three guys stepped up, especially Palat, who, who was pretty quiet in the first two rounds, stepped up majorly in that third round. And, and it just seems like, you know, every time there's somebody stepping up for this Tampa Bay team to get them here. But 
I don't know, man. I don't know what's going to happen in the Stanley Cup finals, but my heart, my heart says uh, Colorado is going to win this one. I think it's all going to come down to what Braden Point can do in this series when he comes back. Yeah, that's another thing. I heard that it's like 99% chance he's going to be playing at some point in this series. So sounds pretty promising that he's going to be back on the ice. And, um, you know, we're not really sure where Nazem Kadri is at right now, but I have a feeling he's going to be uh, playing as well. I don't think he plays the first four games. I think if he comes in, it's five, six, seven. I think points probably game two. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the nice thing is, um, you know, there's that extra day of rest in between games one and two. So, uh, this, the series starts on a Wednesday night, then it doesn't, uh, play again till the Saturday. And then it goes every other day from that point out. So at least there's that extra day of rest in there. So that could make a huge difference for those guys. Yeah. Here's hoping because I want the best possible series. I want Kemper back in net. I want, yeah, Gerard can stay out. Byron's killing it. But I want healthy players, damn it. Yeah, well, that's just going to make for the best possible hockey, right? So uh, I can't wait, man. It's going to be a hell of a series. Two absolute juggernauts going at it. And I just can't think of a better uh, better way for a Stanley Cup final. I mean, these teams are so evenly matched. I, um, you know, Tampa does have the edge or a big edge in goaltending, and that's going to be a a big difference because Colorado has not faced a goaltender nowhere close to as good as Vasilevsky in these playoffs. But you start to look at the points like Kucherov leads Tampa with 23 points. Makar leads Colorado with 22 points. You know, Stamkos has nine goals that leads Tampa Bay. McKinnon has 11 goals that leads Colorado. Kucherov, 16 assists for Tampa Bay. Makar, 17 assists for Colorado. Like, there's so much star power in their, you know, their forward lines and their D lines. And right now they're, they're looking pretty evenly matched so far in these playoffs, but you know, Colorado's only lost two friggin' games going into this series. So that's, that's pretty crazy too. So they're going to get tested right off the bat. It's kind of given me shades of like the LA run in. Was it 2014 where they just beat the shit out of everyone? 2012 i think yeah i think one of the years um, they went seven the first round because they reverse swept san jose in 2014 yeah oh is that when it was okay i had that backwards yeah yeah Yeah, they reverse swept them but 2012 i think it was like um four it was either a sweep or five games in round one they had a sweep at some point and then uh, i think it was arizona or well at the time phoenix coyotes uh, who they beat in five games uh, to advance to the cup final. And I think the same thing, they only had two losses going into that Stanley cup final in 2012. So yeah, I like that comparison a lot. Yeah. Five, four, five is what they went. And then they beat New Jersey in six. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Just like I, I thought so. So um, yeah, a lot of similarities there, but uh, Durham, you know, I know we're pumped about that cup final, but there's been some cracking news and and we got to cover that right now. So um, some of it's not that good, especially the first bit that we're going to be giving you here. And that's, you know, cracking goalie, Chris Drieger. 
you know, ended up suffering that torn right ACL during the third period of Team Canada's gold medal game against Finland back on May 29th. So, you know, we did know that he was injured. We didn't know exactly what it was. Now we do know. And uh, Durham, he had successful knee surgery on June 6th, and he's expected to be out for the next seven to nine months. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, getting back to the crease possibly sometime in January to March, you got to feel for the guy because like, like I said earlier, I didn't really watch the tournament, but I heard lots of great things about how Dreger was playing throughout it. He had a solid ending to the year with the crack in there. And you're kind of hoping he could carry that momentum coming into next year with Grubauer and have a solid tandem back there. And now it's, you know, you feel for the guy, but you're going to hope that maybe Joey Dak can kind of step in and fill that void. Well, that brings up my next question to you. Um, he, do they do they run with Joey Dak, who's going to be on a one-way contract um, next season? Uh, or do you think they go out there and find some other goaltending help? Uh, I think that's kind of a tough one for us fans to decide. I mean, in the limited showings Dak Decord had, like I thought he played okay. But then at the same time, are you going to trust your backup role to – a kid who's only played a handful of games for the next seven months or first half of your season. I think it will see a three goalie like play out in camp where it's like, Hey, you're competing with this guy that we brought in in free agency. And one of you is going to have the backup job for this year. Yeah. I like that. Um, you know, bring in somebody, obviously cheap deal, there's going to be goalies available. Why not have a, another goalie in camp that Joey can compete with and, you know, both get some preseason looks uh, in the crease and, you know, compete for that backup position because I love Joey Dak. I'm a huge fan, but you, you bring up a great point. That's um, going to be a lot of games for Grubauer if uh, they're not comfortable with, with putting their backup uh, in the crease. You know, um, you know, at least once every three games or so, right? Which is kind of like the average. So, um, and of course, if if Grubauer isn't in a good groove, then you kind of want to run with your backup for a couple games in a row, like we we've seen at times this past season that the Kraken did. So, yeah, it's one of those question marks, right? Going forward, what are they going to do uh, in the crease? So, you know, I love Joey Dak, and I'd love to see him, you know, take that role and you know, maybe excel in it. That would be awesome. But uh, like you said, without that experience too, it, it's tough to just throw him in a position like that. Yeah, I think they'll definitely bring in maybe a little bit of a veteran guy to, that's going to be okay. Like if he's got to go down to the A, it's not a big deal. If Dak yeah. does win that spot, because eventually like if you bring in that guy and they have that competition, you got to figure out what to do with the other guy, right? Yeah, exactly. That could be one of those things where they start off in the minors, or maybe it's uh, one of those things where uh, you're able to pull off a trade, uh, you know, if, if a team, you know, takes an injury or something, right? Those things play out in hockey, but well, only time will tell on that front. But yeah, I think we're going to be able to uh, expect to see Joey in that position as of right now, of course, but uh, moving along, man, there's been some uh, Seattle Kraken rumors going around uh, and some of those are uh, some interesting little tidbits that have been getting released. So the, the very first one here we're going to talk about is uh, kind of sounds like the Kraken's assistant coach, Jay Leach. He might be a front runner to uh, land the head coaching job in Boston after a very surprising firing of Bruce Cassidy. What do you think about this one? Well, 
I was definitely surprised Cassidy got fired. I didn't see that one coming. There's quite a rumor going around that the majority of players hated him, though. So I heard he was, you know, a tough coach on the players, but um, a fair one, though, in that sense. But man, the media, the Boston fans right now, they're they're pretty outraged about the fact that he was fired. And I think you were the one who uh, who told me too that uh, in the exit interviews, he was told his job was safe. Um, so, you know, only a couple weeks after that to, or a few weeks, um, to see that, that, you know, he gets fired that quickly after being totally safe. That's, that's kind of interesting. What do you think happened there? Well, you could have been told like, cause obviously your GM's not going to have or change like everything that happens. He's going to have most of his exit interviews with the players and staff on the same day or two. Mm-hmm. So you've generally got everything rehearsed. And then it could have been in that week or so that he got new information and collected everything from his exit interviews and then said, Hey, I think something's got to change here. But yeah, it is shitty. I don't know why you wouldn't be like, Hey, we didn't do that great this year. Nobody's safe. We're looking at everything. Yeah. Yeah. It could be one of those situations. Right. And uh, what do you think of uh, the Kraken's assistant coach here, Jay Leach being a front runner to land that job? I think he's either from Boston or he played for the Bruins at one point. Did he not? He has some ties with the organization, right? He actually coached Providence for a few seasons and and was their head coach. Um, And yeah, kind of took the reins of that head coaching job. So, you know, he's got some ties there. He's familiar with that organization. Obviously, uh, Boston knows a lot about him and knows how he coaches. And I, I think Leach had the op, you know the opportunity to get into a coaching position at the NHL, and that's why he moved over to uh, obviously Seattle and became a part of their coaching staff. So um, it sounds like they really like Jay Leach, and uh, they're a guy that they're uh, well. He's a guy that they're targeting for that uh, head coaching position. So uh, we might be losing one of our assistant coaches here. Which is always kind of the hope, right? You always hope your assistants go on to become head coaches. But that exactly. does That's... Like, make it a little interesting if he was the head coach of Providence. Adds a little bit of smoke to the rumor that um, Cassidy did not get along with the young players. Because if you're going to fire a guy, you're not going to bring in someone that's got the exact same effect, right? And Leach would yeah. know these young guys from coaching them in Providence. So there's probably a lot more trust and leeway there. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, th- I mean, that's probably a huge reason why he's the front runner to land that job. Is you know familiar with that organization, familiar with those players, especially the ones who would have uh, you know made the leap from the HL to the NHL. And uh, so he's he's already knows some of these players, and and their the management team already knows Leach. So um, you know. Uh, that'd be awesome for him. Obviously that's the goal, right? Is to land a head coaching position, like you said. So uh, time will tell to see if that uh, ends up happening. But uh, yeah, even uh, Pierre Lebrun of TSN reporting that, uh, you know, Seattle might be a possible wildcard team to land uh, Mr. Johnny hockey in free agency, because uh, there's a lot of reports that, you know, Seattle's going to be very aggressive this off season. So uh, do you think, uh, what are the chances of, the, of this happening? I'll go 20%. I think by wild card, you got to keep them, your percentages low. And I still think Johnny Hockey ends up being a Philadelphia Flyer. I know tons of rumors of him going there, but um, to land a, a stud like that would be uh, 
a very, very big upgrade for the Seattle Kraken team, no doubt about it. Oh, he'd immediately become our best player. Yeah, and 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 it sounds like Francis is going to be extremely aggressive in making this hockey team better. So, um, and and with a lot of money to spend, uh, you know, maybe it's a situation that uh, Johnny Gaudreau luck likes the money, likes the term, and ends up signing. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but it is interesting that LeBron's already reporting that. And uh, the Bleaker Report also listed Seattle as a potential dark horse team to sign Chris Letang if he's, you know, ends up being available. Your thoughts on this one? I don't think so. I think it's Montreal or Pittsburgh. Honestly, I I, uh, I know they're going to be aggressive. I don't see Letang signing with Seattle. I don't think it makes much sense, especially where Letang is in his career right now. Um you got to think if it's not Montreal, some of his, you know, his hometown there that he's, he's going to be, you know, signing with a team who's already, you know, like a Stanley cup favorite, somebody who's really good. I mean, Latang's going to want to go for another cup here. He's not going to want to join a team who's in a rebuilding situation. I just don't see this one happening. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it makes sense for either side. Mm-hmm. But an interesting tidbit from uh, Jeff Merrick, who uh, ends up talking about how Tyson Berry might be a guy who Seattle looks to acquire. And Tyson Berry, of course, you know, playing with Edmonton, Edmonton is going to be looking at shedding some salary. And uh, they're, you know, kind of backed up with, you know, people on that right-handed D side of things. When you take a look at, you know, Cody CC, maybe he's a, a top four guy moving forward. He's, you know, on a contract getting paid like one. And then the emergence of Evan Bouchard on, you know, as their top right-handed guy, uh, it would make sense that Edmonton moves on from Tyson Berry and Seattle might be a team looking to acquire him. I mean, they, they need some more offensive help on that right-handed side on defense. And there's not a whole lot of guys available in free agency. So I actually think this one could really make sense. And, and Tyson Berry, a guy who could help quarterback that power play of, of Seattle. I agree. Actually, this is one that if Seattle is going to trade for a defenseman, this is probably the guy I'd want them to get, you know, easy to acquire. You could probably get him at a cheaper price since Edmonton feels they have to move him out salary wise like he's got two years left four and a half he puts up good numbers works the power play well you're not going to ask him to be a big defensive guy but we've got larson for that on the right side right yeah exactly and i just think this is a great fit i would love to see tyson barry in a crack in jersey and i think you could get him at a like you said a really good price like you're talking a second maybe two seconds a second and a third I think that could make it happen. I think, you know, and they have those picks to use right now. So Seattle's loaded. So giving up picks like that, that's not going to hurt the future of this team at all. So um, that's a move where you could easily make and easily acquire a guy like that without giving up much. I agree. Like use one of your four seconds that you have and get Tyson Berry. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think this is... uh, one that could really happen. And, uh, and then that just allows them to spend more money in free agency on some forwards and acquire more depth up front. And uh, I think that's probably the way they're going to go this off season. And I think it's the way they should go. 
Yeah. And, you know, Merrick, you know, he's on point with stuff. And you know who else is on point uh, and who pretty much is the GOAT of uh, a lot of these rumors, uh, you know, being legit. That's Elliot Friedman, bro. And he mentioned that the Kraken will be very aggressive this offseason and improving their team. So when he's reporting it, you know it's got to be happening. And he also mentioned that it could mean coaching changes. So that's a bit of a... uh, a bit of a shocker, but I guess when you look at all the available coaches right now and how many good ones there are out there, why wouldn't you be aggressive in this? Exactly. I mean, everyone's got a job until someone else loses theirs. Right. And then everyone's like, Oh shit, do I have a job now? Cause that guy's a pretty good coach. Yeah. It's actually insane. When you look at uh, how many good coaches are available right now, I can't remember, remember the last time there's been this many um, available in the off season, like top notch, top tier coaches who have, you know, gone to Stanley cup finals and have like a, such a good pedigree of, uh, you know, basically a great resume, put it in that sense. It's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I agree. I can't remember the last time there's been this many fantastic head coaches available. Yeah. If you were a betting man, would you say the crack can have a new head coach or they add on to their coaching staff if they lose Jay Leach? I think they add to their coaching staff, the guy that could be the next head coach. I would think so, right? I would think you're, you're getting a guy who's going to be the next head coach. Do you think there's any guys right now who are, who are available right now that they would be uh, leaning towards? not off the top of my head like i don't know why but my gut wants to lean to i'd like to see what talk it could do with this team but i think he kind of has the same approach as to what they're doing now is just grit down hard work let's try and generate some offense but i think he would make us tougher to play against i think so too but i think talk it would be a great fit um a guy i would love to see coaching this team as Barry Trotz, although I don't think he'll end up, uh, you know, coaching the Kraken. Um, I just think with, you know, some of the forwards we have and the structure that uh, has been, you know, somewhat put together already, this team could be, could, you know, potentially become that uh, kind of a defensive juggernaut in a sense. Trotz could be a great fit for this squad. Yeah, he could definitely Islander this is t- Islanders this team. Yeah, yeah, I agree uh, for sure on that one. So, uh, yeah, what are, what are your odds? What are your odds one of those guys are coaching? The coaching the Kraken next year in some capacity? Oh, yeah, they're coaching somewhere, but is it going to be the Kraken? What do you think? I'll go 10% that one of them is on the Kraken bench next year. Ooh, 10%, not too, too high, but still possibility, right? Leaving the door open just to crack. Let some light in. Exactly. And, uh, you know, we're betting people here too. And uh, when it comes to betting, man, we love to use DraftKings. And, uh, my God, they got an awesome deal going on still. That's still continuing for the Stanley Cup Finals, Durham. And uh, because that, that pursuit for the Stanley Cup is still going on, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. So new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. 
So if you're looking to bet on Tampa, if you're looking to bet on Colorado, it really doesn't matter because you can look to turn a small bet into a huge payday during the playoffs by using DraftKings same game parlays. You can do just that. So all you got to do is create your own parlay by combining multiple bets, uh, like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout, Durham. And DraftKings is safe, it's secure, and it's reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. And Durham, moving right along, we have some trophy winners in the NHL that have been getting announced within these last couple of weeks. And to start things off, uh, you know, Boston Bruins forward Patrice Bergeron winning the Frank J. Selke trophy for the fifth time in his career now. That is ludicrous. Man, that's just nuts, right? Like, that makes him the all-time leader for Selkie wins now. Like, they're going to have to rename the trophy after him when he's done, right? Honestly, that could happen. And uh, just for the listeners, just, uh, you know, let us know what the Frank J. Selkie trophy, uh, what do you do to win that award? You got to be the best defensive forward in the league. Yeah. Exactly. So you're excelling at, uh, you know, the defensive play as a forward and no one does it better than uh, Patrice Bergeron. And he blew out his competition in the voting. It was insane. I'm pretty sure Bergeron had more first place votes than anybody else had total votes. I I'm, Almost I think he had 150 and like 146 was the next highest total votes. Yeah, which is just insane. I mean, it wasn't even close. It was a clear-cut winner, Patrice Bergeron. And I believe his his Corsi stats for five-on-five as well and uh, his defensive stats too since some of those advanced stats had, had been starting to be tracked back in 2005, 2006 when it first started. He had the best season all time in some of those stat categories. And um, yeah, you know, when you're leading some of those to um, at five on five, it's just, you know, it's a no brainer. So, you know, the fact that he's won this five times now and his career's not even over uh, just speaks to, you know, how insanely good Bergeron is defensively. I mean, the fact that he can have the best season ever recorded fancy statistically and he's like 36 gross yeah absolutely disgusting right and uh yeah just insane what what he was able to do this season and what he continues to do in his career so um you know congrats to him for winning that and moving right along kyle connor winning the lady bang trophy for uh the player who you know a judge to have exhibited the best type of sportsmanship and gentlemanly conduct combined with a high standard of playing ability. So uh, Kyle Connor winning this trophy this year. So congrats to him. He had some pretty good stats, eh? Yeah. I mean, anytime you have 47 goals and 93 points in 79 games, 
fourth in the league in shot on goals, shot on goal too, with 317. You're thinking, wow, that's a lot. He's on the ice a lot. Probably got a few penalties. No. No. Kyle Connor had four penalty minutes all year. For all we know, that's a double minor high stick, and he only took one goddamn penalty through the whole season. Yeah, that's insane, right? Like, I, I didn't go back and find out what his penalties were, but yeah, only four penalty minutes all year. That's two penalties, or like you said, one double minor. And uh, those could have been just like, you know, puck over glass too. You might not have even touched anyone with those penalties. So um, crazy to think that you could produce at that kind of rate, get that many shots on goal, you know, play that much time, penalty kill and power play. And, uh, you know, only put, put four penalty minutes on the board. That's just insane, eh? One was a slash against Anaheim. And the other one, if you give me two more seconds, I just got to find his name. Where the hell is it? He served. Oh, wait, no. I was going to say he served a bench minor, but he didn't. I clicked on the wrong game. Damn it. I got it. I got it. It's a hooking. So they're both stick penalties. That's lazy, <laughs> Kyle. Move your feet. Yeah, and he's one of the best at moving his feet, man. That guy skates like the wind. Yeah, he's and, not uh, No, he's not. So uh, congrats to Kyle Connor winning that award. Um, moving on here, P.K. Subban winning the King Clancy Award for a player who best exemplifies leadership qualities on and off the ice and who has made a significant humanitarian co contribution to his community. So, uh, you know, this one's a great award to win. And this, I believe, is not the first time that P.K. Subban has won this award. No, I think he won it in Montreal when he had his, like, $10 million donation to the Children's Hospital. Was it 10 or was it? No, yeah, I think, I think it wasn't. It? I think it was more. I think it was like 80 million or something. I was going to say 80, but I was like, that's his whole contract. That doesn't make sense. No, I, I know, but it was a crazy amount. Um, Yeah, get on that. Look it up quickly. But, uh, you know, P.K. Subban, he, he's always doing wonderful things for his community and the, and the people around him. And he, he supports so many people that way. And like you said, what he did with the Children's Hospital in uh, Montreal there and how much money he committed to donations – Okay, so it was ten million. Yeah, yeah, eighty million would be ludicrous. But um, Suban just, you know, he continues to do so much for the communities, and uh, that means so much for those communities and for those people around him. So shout out to PK Suban. That's just awesome. Yeah, and this is probably this and uh, oh shit, I'm brain farting on. I don't want to say the Bill Masterton. I didn't want to say who won it because spoiler alert, it's up net, but up next but these are the two trophies where like you honestly can't bitch or nitpick about who wins them at all they're both they're all fantastic humans and doing great things in their community exactly and uh yeah like you said uh the bill masterton memorial trophy uh the winner this year was announced and that was carrie price you know um and this one is is awarded to the player who best exemplifies the qualities of uh, perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to hockey. So um, this one to me was a no brainer as well with everything that Carey Price has went through this season and, uh, you know, continues to get on the right track for, you know, his health and his mental health. And, you know, 
you always have to congratulate anybody who's willing to step away from their job and, and, you know, no matter what their job is to just take care of yourself mentally, because that's the most important thing when it comes to life. Right. So, um, Carrie Price did that. He was open about it and, you know, hopefully continues to trend in this right direction. And, and we see him back on the ice, uh, by the time next year starts, because, uh, we need him back, uh, playing in the, in the crease because he's one of the best to, uh, lace it up when it comes to goaltenders in today's goaltending as well. Right. So shout out to Carrie Price on that one. Absolutely. Like he's got to be one of the, if not the greatest international goaltender Canada's ever had. Right. You got to think so with what, what everything's he's done. So um, yeah. And you know, he's not done yet, right. There's still a chance to continue to build that resume. Here's hoping, but there was a lot of stuff coming around Montreal, like at the end of the year where they were like, wow, a lot of the players are treating Carey Price the exact same way they treated Carey or uh, Shea Weber after his last game. They're like, I don't know if I'm looking into it too much, but. So yeah, it'll be interesting, that's but maybe that's just because, because of the injuries and everything, you just never know, right. When you have to retire. So, um, and that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. I'm hoping he's back for sure, but, um, obviously his health comes first and that's most important. <clears throat> I don't and, like the Canadians, uh, but I love Carey Price. <laughs> Touche on that one. And uh, the last award to be announced to um, Daryl Sutter winning the Jack Adams for best coach of the year ends up beating out Andrew Burnett, who coached Florida and Jared Gallant, who coached the New York Rangers. Do you think this was the right one? I think so. I, I was down to either Sutter or Gallant, but I think Gallant's already, he's, he won his right. Sutter hasn't got one yet. What I thought was a little neat was the three finalists here, Burnett, Gallant and Sutter. Sutter, sorry, speak like an idiot. But uh, whoever would have won, it would have been that franchise's first Jack Adams winner. That's wild to think about as well, actually. Um, Especially like with an original six team. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. I I couldn't tell you when uh, this award started, but yeah, that's crazy. And um, yeah, I think this was definitely deserving for Daryl Sutter. He's never won one before, and... Yeah, a lot of people had Calgary missing playoffs and being a kind of a trash team this year. So, uh, you know, they won their division this season. So that speaks enough for itself. And um, Daryl Sutter is a huge part of why this team uh, was able to do the things they did this season because it's not like they made a lot of big moves in the offseason and brought in a lot of help. No, they pretty much had the same squad. And uh, Daryl Sutter turned things around for that Calgary team. So, uh, totally deserving. And when you look outside of the top three, there's a lot of coaches who could have been in the finalists this season that could have been, you know, argued to be in that uh, position. So there was a ton of coaches who had great seasons this year. Yeah. This is one that's always going to be one of the most argued, I think, because there's at least six guys every year where you can be like, well, why aren't they a finalist? Yeah, exactly. All the time, right? Like, how many times has John Cooper won it? I don't know. Has he? I I don't know. But he's in the cup final every freaking season. So, uh, I mean, that's got to speak to something, right? But um, it's typically one of these coaches who brings a team that's not supposed to be in the playoffs and does something special with that group that ends up winning it most years. So, uh, And this one, it was Daryl Sutter. So, 
Yeah, much deserving. But uh, Durham, there's been some awards that haven't been announced yet, and we're going to walk through those ones and give our predictions on who is going to take home the trophy for each one. So are you ready for this? I am 100% sure on two of them. Hundred percent. Oh boy, <laughs> might have to lay some bets down. I, I like already it. did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it. Okay. Like eight months ago. Really? Oh boy, I can't wait to hear this. All right, starting things off with the uh, the James Norris Memorial Trophy. Of course, this is for the best defenseman of the season, and and make sure you know. We say season because this has nothing to do with playoff performance. This is what these players have done during the season. So your three finalists for this one, Victor Hedman of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Roman Yossi of the Nashville Predators, and Kale McCarr of the Colorado Avalanche. Who do you have taken home the Norris? The best defenseman to play since Bobby Orr, and that's coming from the mouth of Wayne Gretzky. I'm giving the award to Kale McCarr. Wow. Okay. Give me your reasoning. Why? Cause he put up like, I think 10 less. Was it 10, 10 less points than Yossi 10 or 12, something like that. It wasn't that stupid high, but only a few less points. I think he's way better in his own end and it's best all around defenseman. A hundred percent it is. And, um, I'm going with Roman Yossi. I think Roman Yossi ends up winning this one um, this season. And um, I think it's between these two guys. Kale McCarr, hard to go against him. But uh, just when you look at some of the stretches Yossi had and how elite he had to had to be for his hockey team, um, I think that could be a bit of a, you know, just cross the edge a bit of him taking home the Norris. Um, I mean, I had him on my fantasy team too, so I'm, I'm being a little biased uh, on that one. So um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say this one is actually going to be the closest when it comes down to the voting as well. So between Yossi and Makar, uh, it's gonna be a close one, man. But I'm gonna go with Yossi on it. I agree. It's gonna be the tightest voting. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And, um, okay. So, so those are our picks moving on, man. We got the Vesna trophy for the best goaltender of the season. This one's also a hard one. Um, when you, when you're looking at, uh, all three really. So we got Jacob Markstrom of, uh, the Calgary flames. You got UC Saros of Nashville predators and Igor Shesterkin of the New York Rangers. This one's a tough one, man. Who do you got? Um, this one is not tough for me at all. Igor Shesterkin's going to laugh his way up there to collect his award because he's just heads and tails better than everybody else in the league this year. And I'm going to laugh my way to the bank for that one. I might've got him <laughs> at like plus 1800 plus 1800. That's pretty good. And honestly, man, like Shesterkin, um, to be fair, he had one of the greatest seasons as a goalie, but Jacob Markstrom's numbers too are no joke. Eh, he played on a team that played defense all the time. They don't know how to score goals. Colorado's like, 
or wait, why did I say Colorado? Colorado. <laughs> I'm still thinking about my car. The Rangers are like, hey, four of us don't even know where our own fucking zone is. You got this, Igor? And he's like, they don't score goals. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's fair. I mean, he, he his save percentage too was insane. I mean, he had a you know a two oh seven goals against average with a nine thirty five save percentage. Just played fifty three games, but uh, you look at Markstrom. He played sixty three games. He had a two point two two goals against average and a nine twenty two save percentage. So uh, you look at it that way, and Shishjerkin's numbers are still better right there. Um, and, you know, the only edge right there that Markstrom has is nine shutouts compared to Shesterk and six. But, uh, yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, honestly, I think Shesterkin's winning this one. I think so, too. I think it's his to lose, and he ain't going to lose it. No, I don't think so. And I think you're going to make some moolah off that one. I mean, Shesterkin, fuck, what a season, dude. What a season. And like you said... He didn't have a team who was playing great defense in front of him all year long. He was the reason why uh, they they pulled off a lot of wins and got into a position that they did, especially when it comes to playoffs, man. So I know that doesn't count for anything when it comes to, uh, you know, these awards and, and the voting for it. But um, Shishterkin, he's going to win this, this Vezina Trophy. High danger chances against all season at five on five. Calgary at 635. The Rangers had 790. Yikes. That's a lot, obviously a lot more uh, for him to, to have to stop. Right. So um, yeah, he's winning this one moving along. I think this one's a no brainer too. the Calder Memorial for best rookie of the season. Your three finalists are Michael Bunting, Toronto Maple Leafs, Moritz Sider of the Detroit Red Wings and Trevor Zegras of the Anaheim Ducks. Durham, can it really be anyone else other than Moritz Sider winning this? No. If if Zegers wins it, I'm calling bullshit. Sider was hands down, in my opinion, the best rookie in the league. It was disgusting. He was the best fucking defenseman on Detroit, for one. I know someone's probably going, ooh, it's Detroit. Shut up. He was 20 years old and straight up toying with some of the other team's best forwards. Start of the year, it was like three games in. They're playing Tampa Bay. Remember that big shit show where Dylan Larkin got cross-checked, got up, and was like, fuck you, we're going? Yep. Same game after the whistle, Moritz Sider, like three and a half games into his NHL career, is like, oh, hey, has Hedman got the puck? No. But bumps him off the puck, takes it away. It's like, it's after the whistle. Where's this happening? In the middle of a scrum in front of Tampa's bench. He doesn't fucking care. He's going to go right through the entire league on the way to the Calder and then the Norris eventually. Just insane, dude. Insane what he did. I mean, he played all 82 games this year as well. Um, Seven goals, 43 assists for 50 points in his first damn season in the NHL. Um, You know, ended up playing 23 minutes on average per night, um, which that led Detroit was only a minus nine on that team that absolutely fell apart in the second half. And that was a good team in the first half of the season too. And he was a plus player at that time. So uh, just insane what he was able to do. Um, Played, you know, on average a minute 53 on the PK every night, uh, an average of two minutes, 53 seconds on the power play. So he's playing all special teams as well. I mean, 
I don't know what else to say. This guy is just legit. He's an absolute powerhouse. Um, he's huge. He smokes people. And no one is able to bully this guy around. And he's 20 years old. He's a fucking beast back there. Um, he is literally going to be the best defenseman at some point uh, in his career within the next couple seasons. And it's going to be him, Kale McCarr. Guys like that just duking it out for the best defenseman uh, in the NHL. Like, like this is a guy who has the potential, you know, maybe not on a Detroit team, but in the next two to three years, he's going to win uh, a Norris himself. Adam Fox, Kale McCarr, and Moritz Sider. Are they the next, like, trio of stud D in this league? I think so. I I sometimes don't know why. I sometimes have question marks about Adam Fox, even though I shouldn't. But uh, you, you know, because he still plays quite a bit on the on the defensive side and still kills a lot of you know he kills more time per game on the PK than Kale McCarr, mind you. Um, I think there's more guys on that D squad on Colorado that you know can take those minutes away and and actually kill themselves, right? Kill penalties where Adam Fox dark. is on a team that, yeah, I kind of worded that wrong, but uh, <laughs> he kills guys <laughs> on a nightly basis more than Kale McCarr kills guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I, I do like Adam Fox and he's a smaller guy, but he, he knows how to play the game right without having that, that same size. So, um, yeah, I think those guys are the next generation. And of course there's other guys, uh, who, who have the potential. Uh, Quinn Hughes, I still think, is going to be there, right? Owen Power, he's going to be there real soon. And, of course, Jake Sanderson. Um, watch out for that guy. He's going to be a stud next year in the NHL. So, um, yeah, that's going to be – there's this – there's this huge wave. Sorry, that was an ad on my phone. But there's this huge wave of young defensemen who are absolute studs and, like, the being the best players on their team studs, which – uh, it's such a rarity in hockey. Yeah, so everyone listening, make sure your kid's a defenseman if they're huge. And if they're not huge, they better be able to fucking skate. Yeah, skate and high, high hockey IQ, obviously, right? And that's what all those guys have. So, yeah, Siders winning the Calder for sure. I know we got off topic there, but uh, moving plus on 900. to... Plus 900. You had him? Oh, yep. boy, that is disgusting. Um, moving on here. Uh, the Hart Memorial Trophy, man. This one is uh, uh, the league's most valuable player voted by um, just the normal voters, right? Yeah, I think it's the uh, reporters, like the PWHA, professional, yeah. PHWA, Professional Hockey Writers Association. Exactly, right? So they vote on this one. And the three finalists are Austin Matthews from uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, Connor McDavid from the Edmonton Oilers, and Igor Shesterkin of the New York Rangers. This one is crazy. Um, not sure exactly which way this is going to go, but um, I I know who I'm going to pick. Who do you got? I think it's going to be Matthews. I I think so, too. I'm going to give it to Shesterkin. I think he gets second. I think there's going to be too many voters torn on whether he truly deserved it this year. And everyone else is going to be like, Matthews was either first or second. I think he's going to get more first place votes and that's going to be the thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so too. And, um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be close, right? I think those guys are going to be first and second and it's weird. Like McDavid just had his best year offensively and we're, we're sitting here saying he's not going to win it. I don't know. It's crazy. Crazy to think. Yeah, it is a little odd, but like, I think McDavid obviously brings a whole lot to his team, but we have the same, not we have the same argument, but the hockey world has the same argument every year is, oh, do you give it to McDavid or Dreisaitl? Or when Boston was disgusting, it's, oh, well, do you give it to Pasternak, Bergeron, or Marchand? And back in the day, it was, do you give it to Sid or Malkin? So I think that kind of hurts McDavid a bit, whereas Matthews and Shesterk, and it's like they are the best fucking players on their team. Yeah, and they had, you know, substantial contributions to their team, but they stood out as that best player, like way bigger than exactly. Right. Matthews definitely best player on Toronto, no doubt. And the to hit the 60 goal mark that hasn't been done in a decade is, is, is pretty fantastic. And then Shesterkin, who was significantly the best player on the Rangers this year and putting up numbers that we haven't seen in years or years, you know, as a, you know, statistical sense, spit it out, Ty, um, you know, on in his argument. So, yeah, I think it's going to be one of those two players. I'm just not sure which one. That's why I'm going to go with uh, Shesterkin. I mean, this is one where another one where you can't really go wrong. Like someone's going to bitch about who wins and who doesn't, no matter what. I bet you right now, if I were to go on Twitter, there's 500 people bitching about someone that's not a finalist. Yeah, probably. That's just how that's just Twitter for you though. That's fuck God, it's fun to everyone's read. argue arguing about something on there. So the yeah, you so got Matthews. <laughs> Is the internet stupid or just the way people use it? Oh yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So so yeah, we're on uh different ends on that heart memorial, but like we said, uh there's no wrong wrong person to pick uh through those two guys at least or three i mean if mcdavid wins it he wins it it is what it is so um moving on though the ted Lindsay, which is uh basically the same award mvp of the season except this one's voted by the players and your three finalists once again it's austin matthews from toronto mcdavid from edmonton and roman yossi from nashville so interesting that he's getting into this uh, top three finalists. And that's where I think he might end up winning that Norris is because he's a finalist for the Ted Lindsay. I just want to make a little clarification because there is a difference between the heart and the Ted Lindsay. And it's not just who votes on it. The Ted Lindsay isn't an MVP award. It is the most outstanding player. So that's where I think Roman Yossi is going to win it. I don't have him winning the Norris. I have him winning the Ted Lindsay. Yeah, that's crazy. And I, do, I don't think anyone's won the Ted Lindsay since um, um, I want to say Bobby Orr back in fuck early 80s or something. Like it's such a rarity to see a defenseman win the Ted Lindsay. But like we said, you know, I like it. Like you said, most outstanding player, not most valuable player, most outstanding player. And it was fucking outstanding to see what Roman Yossi did this year. It was outstanding to see what Austin Matthews did this year. It was still outstanding to see what Connor McDavid did this year. No, no real bad picks here. 
I'm just double checking it right now, but I'm pretty sure more goalies than defensemen have won the Ted Lindsay. I think and so. I yes, think Dominic Hasek won back to back in like 97, 98. So yeah, he did. He's won it. He won it twice. Mike Lewitt won it once as a goalie in 81 and Carey Price won it. So there's been three goalies that have won it. Only once has a defenseman ever won the Ted Lindsay and it was Bobby Orr. What year was it? 75. He had 135 points. I Did I say 1983? Wow, I'm a bozo, dude. Bozo. Why did I, I thought you just said that? somewhere around the 80s. Okay, I thought I said 83. Maybe that was what I had in my head, which is just weird. But 75, eh? Wow. Crazy, crazy. Crazy that he only won it one time. Right? That's insane. That seems a little crazy to me. Let's see. It was Bobby Orr, and then Guy Lafleur won it three times, then Marcel Dion, and then Mike Lewitt, and then some guy named Wayne Gretzky won it like a hundred times in a row. Yeah, I wonder why. Yeah, he was okay. He was all right. Was Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux won it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, seven years in a row. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they had a good run, didn't they? Actually, where's the heart? Because it's even longer. I'm pretty sure it was a streak of like 25 years for the heart where only Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, and Yaramir Yager won it. Yeah, that that would be pretty insane, to be honest. But uh, those are our picks for those trophies. So uh, maybe we'll have to put a little wager on uh, because we do have some... Uh, some different guys winning it. So I know you already have some one, some two, real money bets, but a nice five. little wager would be pretty fun, I'd say. I'm in. I'm down for uh, whatever amount you want. Sweet. Sweet. We'll come up with something, and uh, we'll get it figured out. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to announce that next pod for sure. Throw her out on the Twitterverse there because these are going to get announced. Exactly right. Week. So, yeah this week so um looking forward to that and looking forward to uh yeah more right. stanley cup playoffs and getting to watch two dynamite teams going at it playing everything you know putting it all on the line out there and uh playing with everything they got and i just think colorado is is gonna take this man um watch me be wrong though because i am wrong a lot of the time so oh my god uh, i hope not <clears throat> <laughs> I want Colorado to win. It's a three-peat. That's, you know, credit to Tampa. But um, I want I, – I just – the way Colorado was playing, I just can't see them losing. If they can keep that up, man, it's just ridiculous. But uh, Durham, do you have anything else you want to add in? I was just looking at tickets for game one in Colorado, and they're like 1200 bucks Canadian. So I guess I won't be going to that. That's actually not that bad. Yeah, but I got to get to Colorado and back. You know what? There's a you know there's some cheap flight options out there. It's not too bad. All said and done, it's only like a twenty two, twenty three hundred dollar trip, right? It's affordable. I almost did that when Pittsburgh went to the Cup final against San Jose. Oh, and you didn't? Oh, you I didn't, mushed. and I still regret it. Yeah, I would too. I mean, if I was a diehard Abs fan, I'd be seriously looking into that right now. If you're a Colorado fan and you're listening to this, do not make the same mistake I made. Go to a goddamn game if you can. Why not, man? And like if you're that, Tampa, that's... you're fine. You've already done it. So what? It's going to be in Colorado, right? Obviously. Game yeah, Colorado's got home ice. Yeah. 
thought so. Oh man, I am pumped up for that, dude. Wednesday night cannot come any sooner. I'm just Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I know, dude. The best best time of year right now. And then after that, it's like, you know, straight, you know, straight into, you know, a week from the draft and then a week from free agency. So still tons of things to be excited about and so much more to talk about on these upcoming pods, man. Gonna be you know, taking another dive into, you know, what free agency is going to look like, maybe some line predictions for the start of the, the 2022-2023 season for the Kraken. So all sorts of things like that. It's going to be fun, man, but uh, I think it's time to get the puck out of here, Durham. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to episode 35, and join us in two weeks as we break down those Stanley Cup finals and, of course, keep you up to date with all NHL news and all things Kraken. So have a great couple of weeks, everyone, and peace out, Kraken Nation.